We'll recap 236. For St. Petersburg, I'll give you my picks. With the fight selections and the fight reflections, this is fighting with myself. Oh, 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 fighting with myself. Oh, 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 yeah. What's happening, everybody? Still in search of a theme song, if you will, that I like better than that one. Or at least something else to change it up, but I just can't get enough of that shit. I hope everyone had a good weekend. We had some awesome fights this past uh, 236, and there's a lot to uh, go over, so let's just get right into it. Um, I ended up going 2-3 and three on my picks for uh, like 1-2, lost 3 in terms of who I thought would win. Um, but I should have been three and two and we'll get to that in just a second. Um, but as I said at the top of my, um, when I started doing these, these picks for this fight, I said, I love being wrong because it means that something happened that I didn't take into account and the new information, um, like I love surprises. I love how unpredictable MMA is. So I'm not worried about it. Um, now if I was like, oh, and five. I mean, I don't know shit about Dick, but um, th- there's so many variables in these that it just could have like a lot of things could have gone either way. So I'm ha- I'm happy to to have that sort of a record on, on that. So um, we had Nikita Krylov defeating uh, OSP uh, via rear naked choke, and this was a fun fight. And it looked like I don't want to say OSP didn't show up because that would sort of discount uh, Nikita Krylov, but. It was just really like Nikita was leading the dance uh, all night. And I didn't realize that they had fought before. I, I kind of forgot. Um, I watched it once, but um, it was when I wasn't really a fan. So it kind of wasn't even in my memory. That's when OSP got the the Von Prue choke, the, the on record Von Flu choke, um, which is how I said that could have been a way for him to win this fight again. So the fact that he won via submission and OSP's not like, uh, a grappler by trade or whatever, if you want to say his style, he's more of a striker for sure. And Nikita's more of a striker as well. Um, but Nikita was dominating the striking and then dominating the grappling. It was almost like, sort of like Leon Roberts against Gunnar Nelson a few weeks ago, if you remember, sort of an ego thing. Like, I want to beat him in his own game kind of thing. Um, and Nikita clearly has worked on his grappling since they fought. And really... There was not ever a time when I thought OSP had any success, at least like marginal success. Um, it was definitely Nikita's fight. And yeah, he got that um, rear naked choke. So congrats to him. That, w- that was an awesome fight. And I thought it was interesting that they had um, two light heavyweights on the card um, and opening with the card because when... Um, Thiago Santos fought Jimmy Manoa a few pay-per-views ago. A lot of the MMA media were saying that it was it was strange that they are opening the pay-per-view with a light heavyweight fight. Traditionally, they don't do that and, and that they don't always go well if it's a non-title fight, which I kind of like didn't really get. And of course, they ended up being wrong because that, that fight was fucking amazing. But, and this one as well, so... It just kind of means like, do the MMA media really know what the fuck they're talking about? I mean, obviously, more than I do. But you know, it is what it is, as Max would say, Maxi baby. 
Um, next up, we had Dwight Grant defeating Alan Joban via robbery decision. And obviously that's not his um, fault or whatever. He wasn't like, I don't know, you can't fault Dwight in that situation and the cards fall as they may. But come on, dude. Alan Joban won that fight. And this is why I said earlier that I should have been 3-2 and two because I did pick Alan Joban. Um, it, it just wasn't, I mean, it wasn't like Alan Joban was like beating his ass the entire fight and it was like the three blind mice judged the fight, but it really was a situation where if you look at the criteria, if you look at the the, the damage done, there's no way, I, I think you could have picked Dwight Grant. I mean, Alan Joban was backing him up the entire fight, walking him down, um, slipping any counter shots that Dwight Grant tried to throw and letting some good combos. Dwight Grant was just like backing up looking for a counter and... It sucks because Alan Joban had this pretty fired up post-fight scrum with uh, Brett Okamoto in the back, and um, after the fight, he and he was saying, "I want to talk to the judges. I want to see what's your back, what's your uh, background in martial arts. What are you looking at? What gives you the right to do this?" And it all boils down to this: they took away half his paycheck which is not the judge's fault necessarily because they don't um, have any say in how the, the UFC structures their pay. But given the situation as it is, and it's not just the UFC, a lot of fight promotions do show and win, which I think they should get away from. I mean, that's maybe that's the immediate solution. But see, I started to think about that, what he said about wanting to talk to the judges. And I think a lot of changes need to be made in the judging criteria. Because the sport is so new that you kind of have to. There comes a point where you have to get out of your own way and not just say, oh, well, this is the right way. It's been successful or whatever. It really hasn't in some cases. I mean, doesn't really there doesn't really have a fight night where we're not some kind of controversy on a decision. And... I think what what really kind of plays a factor into it all is that the commissions are regulating it. And I think Luke Thomas says it best. Uh, he said, we have given, because the commission is a government body, he said, we have given the keys to the kingdom to the people that run the DMV and let that sink in. Because when you put it down like that way, government really isn't interested in progress or admitting that they're wrong (laughs) i mean come on so i think something should be done about the judging now really the only way to do it is when when the ufc goes and i I said the ufc because of the major um promotion and any sort of change in mma as a sport kind of has to come from the top down you know if they don't start doing it not a lot of other people are going to start doing it and when the UFC or any other promotion goes overseas, they are, in a sense, the commission. Um, like they have Mark Ratner, the VP of Regulatory Affairs, I, I think his official title is. He like ha- handles the um, regulation and the, the rules. So if you don't, when, when you go overseas, that's really your opportunity to try some new things. Now, I understand they want conformity and they're trying to build a brand. But at this point, I mean, your hardcore fan base is going to always watch those fights, but 
the casual audience isn't necessarily going to watch those overseas fights, especially if they're like, you know, five in the morning on five pass or whatever. So that's the time when you can make, make some changes a little bit, just tweak some things to see if it works. And I think they should, I think they should at least experiment or talk about the idea of maybe open scoring. When I say open, I mean where they have like a literal, literal scoreboard where the judges have to post their scores. And so the fighters know now, you can make the argument that if a fighter's winning, like if he's up two rounds in a three-round fight, uh, maybe he'll coast the third round. But maybe you also see that other fighter knowing that they're down two rounds and knowing that they have to go for a finish. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that could go into it. But ultimately, if these judges don't have to answer for their decisions, the same thing's going to keep happening, especially if they stay with the 10-point must system that they just adopted from boxing, which doesn't necessarily work for MMA all the time. And not only are they using the 10-point must system from boxing, they're pulling boxing judges because they want to have the commission sort of um, employ with uh, the same um, you know, they, they want to use the same stable of people. And I just think something needs to be done. Call me crazy. We can have a debate about it. Whatever, but I just I just hate to see this. I I can't I can't just stand by and and just see kind of judging like that because Alan Joban this is the last fight of his contract. He was trying to get a nice win and use that as leverage for negotiation. Now, I mean, he's had some some losses lately, and maybe they cut him. The Walter the Walterway division is stacked, dude. There's definitely room for them to cut. I mean, I don't think they should. He's he's a well-known name. He's got the Versace contract. And, and that's why it sucks. You know? So, tweet at me if you, if you think that, um, you know, we should talk about judging. Uh, there's, there's a lot of, you know, uh, solutions that we could try. Not we, but you know what I mean? Like, they could try. So, moving on. That was my little rant about judging. Uh, Khalil Roundtree defeating uh, Eric Anders via unanimous decision. Really, I, I kind of feel like Khalil may have won this fight with his hands tied behind his back. Like, not literally, because he obviously, you know, Anders got some good shots in and Khalil was able to block some and he had some good punches. But the story of this fight was really leg kicks. I mean, he just battered Eric Anders' leg. Um, and the, the commentators kept talking about how he had spent some time in... Um, and Muay and in Phuket doing work on his Muay Thai in Thailand, uh, and it paid off for sure. Um, now I don't always think that uh, approach will work for every single fight. Um, he did have some good stuff. I mean, he did knock out one of the um, one of the most well known and most dangerous kickboxers in Gokansaki. So that was before he went to Thailand. So you kind of think maybe if it's broke, don't fix it. But clearly. He did make some improvements in his game that allowed because he did have some trouble with with the clinch, uh, you know, with Johnny Walker. So maybe that's kind of why he went there. I mean, ultimately, hey, it worked. Eric Anders, um, tough as hell, and maybe he goes back to middleweight after this. Uh, I I didn't think he was necessarily a big middleweight. So when he um, when he went up to light heavyweight, I'm like, okay. But then in, in there, he didn't necessarily look undersized. And then I realized when he's cutting down, he's really kind of sucked in. It's a, must be a tough weight cut at 185. So 
maybe he gets another matchup um, if he wants to stay this weight class, or he goes back down. Who knows? Uh, but definitely uh, shouts to Khalil Roundtree because uh, I love watching that dude fight. Um, he's got a pretty cool mustache. Um, and um, I just like what he stands for. Um, now, after this, we had um, Israel Adesanya defeating Kelvin Gaslam via unanimous decision to win the um, interim middleweight championship. Well done, boys. My God. Was this the fight of the year? Probably. I mean, God damn. And it's early. So I, I, we tend to have a bit of a recency bias when it comes to these, um, you know, fight of the year stuff, like the, the year-end awards. And um, I, I think I am going to do an end-of-the-year show, just kind of a, a wrap-up, maybe on an off week. Uh, when there's no uh, fights or maybe add it in because I think that would be a lot of fun. You guys can – maybe we can do some polls online, people vote or whatever. Um have my own picks as well. Um, so that will be fun. But um, just just looking at this fight, what a fucking war, huh? I mean, Israel – and I, I was really high on Izzy and everyone – there was a lot of people on Twitter being like, oh, he's going to derail the hype train. Y'all are sleeping on Kelvin. I don't think anyone was necessarily sleeping on Kelvin, but ultimately, if you're going to throw your hat in the ring, you got to go either way. And um, Israel did show some some good takedown defense in his last fights, and it was it was about the improvements he was making fight to fight that that really kind of made a difference. Where it was like, okay, he gave up a couple takedowns in his debut, then he gets taken down less, then he doesn't get taken down at all, and then he complete or he gets taken down, but he gets up and. I just, I just thought he had the recipe. Now, it kind of proved it, right? He, he got taken down very briefly by Kelvin, and he popped right back up. And he swept him. He had the triangle uh, that was almost locked up. I love how in the uh, post-fight interview he said that um, he was working on it. Um, I don't know if you guys saw, but he, he had a little um, a little backstage interview with Megan O'Leary. Um, and he kind of did a nod to uh, Hanato Laranja. He was like, I got the jiu-jitsu. Pay attention. I mean, I thought that was cool. Um I fucking, I love Izzy, but yeah, shouts to Kelvin as well. I mean, it takes two to tango. So if, you know, going into the fifth round, I had a dead even, like two and two, and Israel just put it on him in the fifth round, almost finished him. If that fight goes like another minute, like if we just give him another minute, I think Izzy finishes him. Uh, That's my opinion. And uh, I think a lot of people might agree with me. And it's interesting. I, I did say that um, I don't always like to play matchmaker and say like, oh, what's next for him? And let's do this because there's a lot of different things that can go on. I don't want to get too excited. But in the case of this fight and the main event that we're going to talk about, it's pretty clear. Now, when it comes to uh, interim titles, the rule is supposed to be the only reason that it's there is kind of a number one contender belt. It's kind of like, Oh, the, the championship fight while the champion is out. So naturally the the interim champion is going to fight the undisputed champion. They're going to unify the belt, but that doesn't always happen. Um, I'll point to uh, Robert Whitaker winning the interim uh, middleweight title and not fighting Michael Bisping, who at the time was the undisputed champion, you know, um, Colby Covington just recently, uh, not fighting Tyron Woodley. So there's a lot of things that, I mean, now Colby Covington is supposed to face Usman. I think they, I think they are making that fight. Um, 
So ultimately, his next fight after that winning that championship is a title fight. So, but really, they didn't they didn't unify that belt because it was an interim. You know, while Tyron was was the champion, and, and they never unified that. So, what I'm saying is, it's not always clear. Like sometimes an inter- interim title could be a placeholder, right? Like just while the champion is out. So, uh, I mean, there have been rare times when when I think maybe uh, Hen and Burrell, they had like an interim title defense. Or whatever. Not that I'm saying they'll do that, but I'm saying, like, sort of in the case of of um, Robert Whitaker winning the interim title, and then Michael Bisping fought GSP. It's because they maybe the champion maybe had another fight lined up, and you kind of put him on a back burner. So maybe they do uh, Habib versus Tony. Although I don't think they are. Uh, it's pretty clear. Habib tweeted out, um, you know, congrats on the fight. Um, Let's. I'll see you in September in Abu Dhabi. Uh, but we'll we'll get to that in a second. I want I want to talk about Izzy. Um, like I said, it's pretty clear he's going to fight Robert Whitaker, right? Like Robert Whitaker is not a guy who uh, ducks fights. He's not looking for money fights. And um, I think they're setting that up to be somewhat of a big fight in Australia uh, with Israel Adesanya being one of the biggest stars in the UFC right now, um, training out of New Zealand. Obviously, he's Nigerian born, but he's been living in New Zealand for the past. 10 plus years i mean he's he's new zealand based and i like that robert whitaker is training in australia but he was born in in new zealand there's a bit of a rivalry there um i guess they call him a mozzie uh as he was saying in the in the post-fight uh, show with chael and rashad so i i think that fight's going to be amazing dana's talking about doing it in um, august sometime uh maybe rescheduling one of the fights they have in in vegas or something to, to be done in australia like I'll reserve my my picks for that because I actually, even though I'm so high on Izzy, I don't know that I would pick him against Robert because Robert could have the tools to to beat him. I think he can hang with him in the stand up. There's a lot of there's a lot of fun matchups that there. Like, I, th- I think maybe maybe Izzy beats Robert. Maybe Robert beats or Cal, and then it, or what am I saying? Maybe Robert beats Kelvin. Kelvin loses to Izzy there's kind of a round robin there if you get what I'm saying like sort of like you had Misha Tate and Holly Holm and Ronda Rousey like one can beat the other but like MMA math doesn't always add up you know I'm starting to sound like Brendan Schaub I'm like not even making sense right now um by the way just on that note um anyone that um sat through that last episode I'm sorry (laughs) and thank you Uh, I was a bit of a mess because I was a mess but I need I needed to get it done. I wanted to stay on sort of a schedule and, and do one a week. Uh and I, I really I really appreciate all the honest feedback I had and um especially um the the little the message I received from one of the OG listeners of my other podcast, MMO. You know who you are. Uh it just means a lot. All, all the support I'm gonna on Twitter, uh, engagement. Um I had my other podcast for uh a year at this point, a little over a year. And uh, we never really got any fan questions that I would always ask for. And I've had this podcast for we're on a third episode. I got a fan question, baby. It's coming up. We'll do a, a, that segment's coming up later. But uh, you guys are awesome. Uh, the the feedback on this podcast has been great, and I can't wait to to just continue to grow. It's going to be awesome. Now, next up is Dustin Poirier defeating uh, Max Holloway via unanimous decision. Another fight of the year contender, right? I mean, 
it's hard, it's hard to argue like between the two, what would be the one. Um, but I'm really glad that they gave them both fight of the night. They did two fight of the nights rather than doing one fight of the night and um, two performance bonuses. You know, ultimately, it's the same money, so they're they're not really doing anything extra financially. Like I kind of think they should have given at least maybe uh, Alexandre Pantoja or uh, the gentleman that knocked out Boston Salmon in like 30 seconds. Like you have those two awesome title fights that deserve that. But you also have some guys like the performance bonuses, in my opinion, are for the guys on the undercard. Like that's really what they're fighting for because they're fighting for a top spot. They're, they're not, they're making probably 10 and 10 and that 50 K is life changing money. The guys in the, in the two, two main and co-main that one fight of the night, they're, they're getting well past that and pay-per-view points because they're fighting for a belt. So, yeah, but 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 ultimately, if you're if you're calling it you know, a spade a spade, what was fight of the night? Those both were fight of the night. I mean, um, I think Dana said it on, on another card. You know, Dustin Poirier and Max Holloway would would have got fight of the night hands down. It just so happened that they came right after you know potential fight of the year. You know, so um, really happy for those guys and Dustin Poirier. This is why I say I love being wrong, and I kind of I kind of was on the fence about this one. I said it could go either way, but I, you know, gun to my head, I had to pick Max, but I, I did say it. I was hoping for Dustin to win. Um, not only, you know, they both walk away with the belt. Obviously Max still keeps his featherweight title and, and Dustin has this interim title, but Dustin has just been grinding, man. I mean, 22 fights in the UFC. I think that includes a WC, by the way. I think, I think they're saying 22 fights under the Zufa banner. Um, we'll have to go back and check that. But anyway, a fucking ton of fights just to, just to get the shot, let alone win it. And he wins it. I mean, Max Holloway had the volume and I thought that was going to play a factor. Like he throws more shots, but Dustin knew that and he knew he had to break up his rhythm. He had a very, I think they had a very smart game plan. He talked about his coach, Mike, Mike Brown. They were saying he had to disrupt the rhythm, you know, fake, fake a takedown. We go for an overhand, right. Um, and it showed. Now, hats off to Max. And, and, and this is what kind of pisses me off. I, I hate when, when the loser gets praised for their toughness oftentimes because then, then it just seems like the shine is on them. And when I say that, not that he doesn't deserve it. I mean, I fucking love Max as much as the next guy, right? But uh, like in the post-fight press conference, Dana White was saying, Oh, Israel like they asked him what he felt about the two fights. They're like, oh, Israel Adesanya, uh, that fight, and then Kelvin shouts to both guys. But Israel Adesanya, he he's the next star. He's the next big thing. Uh, I love those guys. They they're gonna do big things. And then they ask him about Max and Dustin, and he goes, well, well, Ma- Max is tough as hell, huh? Like he doesn't even mention Dustin, and that and that was a, a miss in my opinion. You know, so I just wanted to kind of put more shine on Dustin I'm saying because he earned that victory um he really did uh Max made him pry it from his cold dead fingers if if you know what I mean I mean the heart that those two guys showed it was like it ultimately it came down to like it felt like Dustin wanted a bit more like I I thought Max's experience in big title fights was going to make the difference but Dustin has been in a lot of main events recently and he just wanted it. I mean, this is a guy who's been in the UFC for 10 years and 
just really, really grinding. So, I'm mean, sorry, he's not been in the UFC for 10 years. He's been fighting for for like 10 plus years when he's been in the UFC for like seven years. But man, I, I love it. I, I love the, the respect that they showed. I love uh, in the, um, like right as soon as the, the final bell sounded when they're, um, they're just hugging it out uh, before the, the scorecards are read and everything. Dustin uh, Max had a nice little exchange and Max was like, love you, bro. You're a champion. And man, Max is such a great guy. Uh, Dustin told the story and I think the post fight press conference when he was saying how, cause I don't know if a lot of you guys know this, uh, assuming you do, but I'll just say just in case, uh, Dustin Poirier for the last several fights, he's been auctioning off his fight kit and uh, donating the proceeds to charity. And this one uh, is a pretty special one. I guess there was a kid who uh, in his hometown of Lafayette, Louisiana, who's disabled and really wanted to see a, a playground in his um, school, uh, like a new a new playground. And I guess that kid passed away and never got to realize that dream. So they're with the proceeds from this fight kit auction, they're going to build him a new uh, playground and uh, with a plaque saying, you know, commemorative of, I think the guy's name is like Aaron Hill or something. Uh, really, really cool thing he's doing. And Max in the back signed his gloves and gave it to Dustin and said, put, put these in the fight in the auction too. Uh, anything, you know, you need, I'll help you out. I thought that was just so cool. Like Max, all class, both of them. I mean, they even asked, like, would you give him a third fight? Which I thought was kind of a dumb question. Like, so it was some guy in the uh, um, in the, in the post fight press conference, some reporter. Uh, not, not a dumb question. I don't want to like belittle the guy, but you know, they're two and he's two and zero against them. They don't usually do a rubber match if it's like, it's not really a really rubber match. They don't do a third fight if it's one and one. Uh, not not to say that they never do it, but it's just not really common. And Dustin, I don't feel like he has to fight him, but credit to Dustin. He said, obviously my next fight is Khabib. That's what I want. But later on down the line, you know, I love fighting. Like, I'll fight him five more times. I just thought that was really cool. Like he was just like, you know, if, if we need to do it again, we'll do it again. Like that was, that was a fun time. Ultimately, I had a really, really awesome time watching these fights. Uh, love engaging with you guys on Twitter. Uh, let's keep that going again. Shout out to Jay, my man. Um, no turn on stoned on Twitter. Love, love the fucking handle. I love the, the fight night, uh, follow trains that you do. And, um, I think without that, uh, my podcast wouldn't even be where it is. And it's not even, it's not even really anything at the moment, but even that little bit of I have is, is really from, from that Twitter, um, uh, from this whole Twitter engagement for them, my Twitter. So I really appreciate you guys. Um, just a, just a couple, um, shout outs on the, um, uh, undercard that I wanted to, to, uh, highlight real quick, Bilal Muhammad getting it done. That was incredible. Um, I love Bilal Muhammad. Uh, I think, I, I I tend to pick him over just about anybody. I mean, he he's really well rounded. He's I I would say more of a striker, but then he really surprised you with the wrestling and the, and the grappling. I think he's he's really working on his game. Uh, you know, of course, he's training with Tyron Woodley and Ben Askren and those guys down at uh, Rufus Sport. And he's fighting Curtis Millinder, who's really a, like a much taller guy and a, a pretty uh, pretty hard hitting uh, striker. And the first round, Curtis was kind of piecing him up a little bit. He was hitting him with a jab. 
um, keeping him at bay using that reach well. And I was like, oh shit, this isn't going to go well. But then some, somewhere like midway through the second round, it clicked. Bilal got inside. I wouldn't say it clicked. Like obviously I think he knew what he had to do, but he really just kept going and kept the pressure and he got inside, got a nice takedown off the fence. Um, kind of slammed him a little bit. Like I, lo- I love that he kind of picked him up and slammed him. I was like, holy shit, Bilal's fucking, he came to fight, you know? Um, and, and that was it for, he kind of dominated in the rest of the fight. Uh, so that was awesome to see. Um, I really love that guy as a, as a, as a fighter, but also his personality he doesn't really trash talk. He's, uh, got a good personality. I just, I'm, I'm, in, I'm into that guy. Um, I want to talk about a couple other quick things. Max Griffin defeating, uh, Zalim Imadaev. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Probably not, but whatever he fucking lost, but uh, apparently throughout the week, um, he was getting in Max Griffin's face, like at breakfast in the fighter hotel at the weigh-ins in the back before they're weighing in, like just really antagonizing him. I guess there was this whole beef where he got kicked out of extreme couture for, for roughhousing the fighters. And honestly, that's fucking piss poor behavior. Uh, like, Kudos to Max Griffin for for being the bigger person and kind of rising above it a little bit, um, but dude, come on! Uh, but during that fight, this is what kind of made me uh, want to highlight and talk about it. Um, Max Griffin was going for a takedown, and Zalim was grabbing the fence, and immediately George Allen, the ref, my man, the patron saint of refs. The patron saint of point deduction grabs him, says stop, boom, takes his by the wrist, goes to the center of the cage, one point, fence grabbing. What He's doing the fucking uh, little hand signal, like one point, grab the fence, he's doing the grab motion, like immediately. And this is what we need, dude. We need him. I want to see this guy. I don't know if he's um, licensed in other states because we haven't really seen him uh, refing the UFC a lot. So I don't know if he's just like a local Georgia ref, but... Dude, that guy's on it, and he was he was actually earlier in the night. I think he refed the uh, Poliana Boteo versus uh, Lauren Mueller fight, which was a great fight. And um, Boteo's a savage, um, and, and Lauren toughed it out too. She had a great she had some great moments in the end of the end of the fight um, towards the end of the third round. But George Allen in that fight, he was separating him a lot. Um, I, I kind of don't like referee separations or stand ups too often because you know sometimes those clinch moments and or whether when they're on the ground they could be working for a sweep or transitioning to something so i don't i don't think the refs always know but sometimes for action's sake it's needed and george allen was not afraid to do that and so with the point deduction we grab with regards to the fence grab i think refs need to do this more often especially for things like fence grabbing where it's like that could change the course of a fight, you know, for a takedown, you know, um, like immediately because your warning is in the back and how many fights have you had? Like that matters. Like if it's a guy's first pro fight, okay, maybe you give him a little leniency, but still that's also how you learn. So mm, I don't know. Point deductions I think are necessary and by God, George Allen did it and I loved it. I was so into it as far as the point grabbing goes. So more of that, more George Allen. Uh, Love him. DC was like, oh, it's my new favorite ref. And I agree. 
Um, just a couple of random things, just kind of post-fight um, stuff here. Uh, I saw Esther Lynn tweeted out Henry Cejudo was chatting up the Octagon Girls. And as if uh, the cringe-ahudo movement isn't, uh, you know, making me cringe enough. Like, just go away, dude. Henry Cejudo. Like, when he beat TJ Dillashaw, like, I, th- I feel like TJ became the most annoying fighter. Because he was just like, oh, I got robbed and the whole thing. We're like, shut up. But Henry Cejudo is quickly becoming the most annoying fighter. Like, no, just go away. You can't chat up the Octagon Girls. They're at work. You may not think, like, it's that hard of a job. And, yeah, it's probably one of the easier jobs. But not, 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 not just anyone can do it. And they're at work. You wouldn't you wouldn't come up. I mean, maybe you would. Maybe you're just a piece of shit, Henry Cejudo. But like, go away. I don't know. I I, I just I saw that and I was like, uh, what a what a fucking like. I, I saw Ashley MMA nerd on Twitter. She was like, someone needs to get this guy laid. And I was like, yeah, let's start him a GoFundMe account, maybe for a hooker or something. I mean, that was kind of a bad joke, but um, dude, Henry Cejudo, bye, go away. Uh, and I want to talk about something that Dana White said in the, uh, in the post-fight, uh, press conference. And also he, I think he mentioned this in his scrum with Brett in the back. He said in a few months, they're going to unveil something that's going to change the future of not just the UFC, but the future of fighting. And right away I was like, oh no. Like, I didn't think, I was like, ooh, what's it going to be? And I guess there is a little bit of that because maybe I should sort of reserve my judgment for that and sort of be optimistic about it. You know, maybe something could happen. But more often than not, dude, I think that's just Dana's ego. I think that's him being like, oh, we're doing big things. We're changing the court. Like like the whole ESPN Plus exclusive pay-per-view thing, that's to benefit them. That's not really benefiting the customers, certainly not benefiting the fighters. So when I saw that, I just I immediately thought of Project Spearhead. For those of you that don't know, Project Spearhead is a an attempt to a fighter union started by um, Leslie Smith and Cajun Johnson, and I think little Ally Quint is involved in that too. So they had this movement that they're trying to start where fighters can go sign a Project Spearhead card, sort of like pledging their interest, and it's totally anonymous. So like I don't know why more USC fighters aren't doing it because it's anonymous. Because if they get a certain percentage of the roster to sign these cards, they can then lobby for uh I think it's like the union um the Department of Labor or something to try and define whether or not they are independent contractors or they are an employee. Because as independent contractors, they don't really have a lot of rights. But the way the UFC contracts are set up and with the rights that they have, they're really kind of employees. And the treatment is not good in terms of like making decisions. They need a union to make some decisions on their behalf. Uh, Like with USADA, with the Reebok deal, they, they didn't have a say in any of that. And so when Dana's like talking about the future of fighting... I know, again, I'll, I'll kind of res- I'll try and reserve judgment for that. I'll try, you know. Uh, but it just means, I, I think, obviously, I'm not going to be as uh, audacious as to think any fighters are listening to this podcast. But if you are, or if later on down the line, they go back into past episodes, sign a Project Spearhead, you dummy. 
Uh, it's on the Project Spearhead card. It, 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 you have nothing to lose. Um, so I just think the fighters should uh, should do that. And with that, I'll just kind of a final closing note on this segment to wrap up the whole event. Just try not to tag fighters, uh, especially after a loss. Um, you know, if they got a nice win, you want to say something cool, tag, I mean, but, and, and I used to think this, I know a lot of you are probably thinking like, oh, well, if you're not tagging someone and you're saying a shitty comment or whatever, you don't have the balls to, to say it to their face or whatever you want them to see it. Like, they don't need to see that. Like, especially after a loss. And, like, I used to, like, if one of my favorite fighters or someone I really want to win would lose, I would tag them and be like, nothing to hang your head about, you know, good performance, you showed some heart, I would say some encouraging things, but honestly, after after seeing some fighters talk about it in interviews and some media members, like, I really think, like, they just want to be left to hell alone, and, uh, you know, I, I think we should kind of just all be a little more mindful of that, you know, um, good or bad, sometimes fighters don't really care what we say, uh, they don't want to get too um, lost in the hype, I guess. You know, if it's a good thing, they don't want to, you know, believe too much in the hype. And if it's like negative criticism, obviously don't want to be looking at that. So just, just don't, just don't tag the fighters, okay? I'm not, not ever, but you know, after a loss, just give it some time. It's not, it's not really. Let's not do that. And with that, I guess I'll wrap up this segment. Uh, thanks everyone for. Um, your patience with me. Hope you had a good time. And then uh, let's take a quick break and we'll do some current events. And we're back. Let's get into some current events. Um, I guess we got to start off by talking about this whole TJ Dillashaw thing again. Um, so USADA and the UFC announced that uh, TJ Dillashaw got a two-year ban. Uh, they found it was EPO. Which is pretty uh, pretty surprising. Like I was really expecting them to come out with some sort of tainted supplement excuse. Although I should have... I mean, the fact that TJ relinquished the belt made me think maybe something's going on there. And turns out that was the case. Uh, basically, if you don't know, EPO is a substance, I think, naturally produced by the kidneys, but obviously it's made artificially in this injectable form that TJ took. Um, it kind of gives you more red blood cells, more oxygen in the blood, and therefore um, allows for more endurance. Um, it was made popular. Lance Armstrong and those guys in the Tour de France were using it, and uh, Jeff Nowitzki caught them as well. So, So Jeff has a fairly long history for EPO apparently it's it's a very specific test to do it and uh, it's kind of costly so they don't always test for EPO and I think the detection window is pretty short so TJ must have been getting away with this for a while I mean that's what I think is they did um, test a sample from December because the one that um, raised the whole issue with USADA was from I guess the day after the fight or the day maybe the day before the fight and January 19th around there uh, but they went back and tested another sample from December 28th and that tested positive for EPO as well so I thought a couple things like one why aren't we always fucking testing for this or at least maybe every other test something like that because like and the fact that they can go back and test old piss it's like how far back do you go like, what are we doing here? It's just kind of weird. 
Um, and apparently some old tweets resurfaced of Cody accusing uh, TJ of EPO. So it's like, how do you not see that? Like, Jeff Nowitzki went on Joe Rogan's podcast a while ago, probably close to a year uh, or around there, and uh, Joe Rogan said, is it random testing? He said, no, it's not random. It's very specific. If an athlete's body looks a certain way, we'll test them more. If, you know, there's there's a tip line, there's rumors, and we, don't, we, we very much keep our fingers on the pulse of this sort of thing. So it's not necessarily random testing. I'm sure for some people it is somewhat random. The whole point is to, to surprise them. But in terms of, like, like other athletes get tested more, that's the not random thing. And so when you have Cody going out in a press conference uh, for their last fight saying, oh, you know, you showed everyone in alpha male how to do steroids, uh, you know, and then this tweet saying you're on EPO, like, come on, dude. And then here's what's crazy to me as well. Uriah Faber went on Ariel Hawani show and said, like Ariel asked him, are you surprised that they caught him? And he said, to be honest, I've been surprised for the past six years. I mean, come on. Like, how incriminating is that? That that means you were essentially enabling it or knew about it as his coach and only said anything after the fact. Like, that to me was really shady. This whole thing is terrible. Um, so I was just like, you know, what the hell? And um, first, before TJ released his own statement, we got a statement from Coach Calavita, Sam Calavita, who was the guy that they were, like, heralding for this whole thing saying, Oh, you know, he's the training lab. He's, he's science. Uh, he's really on point with our nutrition. And of course that famous picture came out of TJ with all those supplements. Like it looks like the entire table full of just like vitamins and supplements and, and whatnot. It's crazy. So it made me just, I, I was just baffled. And, and at first of all, I read, I read the statement, uh, Brad Okamoto tweeted out if you if you haven't read it go check it out on his Twitter, um, but it was like very articulate and and well written and very much a PR sort of carefully crafted statement. And so at first glance I was like, oh okay, well they're they're admitting. And then I saw Artem he quote tweeted saying translation he cheated and i helped him do it and i was like well let me go back and read this thing and i read it and that's kind of not that far off i mean he's saying oh he succumbed to the pressure and first of all no like he's saying pressure from your employer to win like that's not anything like he should be doing it for himself like that was just a terrible line i thought and then he's saying, you know, we stand, we stand by him in this whole process. Like, I mean, I guess it, if you're TJ, you feel good about that because you you probably like that arrangement and don't want to leave the coach. But but then the saying we stand by him almost feels like they're okay with it. They're like maybe we just don't get caught next time, or or at least try and go clean. Maybe like, oh, I didn't like that. Uh, one of my favorite takes on the whole thing was. Uh, was Coach Kavanaugh quoting Macbeth. I thought it was so cool, so gangster. It's like, is this a dagger which I see before me? Come, let me clutch thee. But it, but he replaced the word dagger with needle. It was like, 
the needle tore my own hand. Come, let me clutch thee. I have thee not, yet I see thee still. Art thou not, fatal vision? It was so badass. Um, I always love when, when Shakespeare gets a little bit inserted into MMA. So I guess that's my thoughts on the whole TJ thing. I, I mean, to be honest with you, and oh, the statement from TJ, dude. So weird. He's just sort of crying. Uh, you can hear his son in the background, which just makes it all very like sad and kind of cringy. Uh, he's in a sling. Uh, everyone's saying he looks overweight, which is like, like I'm my I'm personally overweight, uh, or I used to be significant. I've lost a lot of weight, but I'm still kind of overweight. So I I really kind of get after people for like fat shaming and stuff like that. But when it, when it's an athlete who was like cutting down and they're like talking about using all these things, I have no problem saying like, dude, he looks fat. <laughs> like. It just like he's like post fight depression, post Usada depression, and then he's like he's arms in a sling. He's like I'm getting some surgeries. I'm trying to take advantage of this time off. Apparently he's been fighting with some torn labrums or torn rotator cuff. Uh, he's like oh I did did the right one. I'm gonna do the left one once this heals. I mean, talk about trying to play the sympathy card, and then still not even apologizing to like any opponents he he faced did, did not apologize to Cejudo which I mean Cejudo's kind of you know annoying but if it was your opponent and you cheated against him the least you could do is say I'm sorry so this is just a whole mess I honestly like the way TJ acted after the loss even before the USADA thing came out I was like if those two never fight again if TJ never fights for the belt again I'll be happy and so well, I don't want to relish anyone's demise and kick a guy when he's down. I'm kind of happy that TJ's out for two years. Not not really interested in seeing him fight uh, for, for a while. But don't get me wrong, he's a talented fighter. Um, and the stuff he does is great, but I really hate his post uh, pre-fight buildup. Uh, he's annoying as shit. Um, and he looked like a sunken-in baby when he when he had to make 125, so... Not not interested in TJ fighting anytime soon. A couple other uh, things that came out. Um, Ross Pearson decided to retire. I felt like this one kind of went under the radar. I don't see a lot of people on Twitter talking about it, uh, least of all the media, uh, which kind of surprises me. I mean, he's an OG in the game. Got his start on Tough, I think. Uh, Michael Bisping was the coach, and then he ended up coaching Tough himself a couple different times. And I wanted to just talk about some of my favorite uh, Ross Pearson moments. Um, there was a moment he was actually coaching the Ultimate Fighter. It was one of those weird seasons where it was um, Ultimate Fighter Nations. I want to say that was the season that Robert Whitaker ended up winning. Um, it was like Australia versus England. I think that was the one. And the so obviously he was coaching the English team. And... The Australian team was coached by, I want to say, George Sadaropoulos. I'm getting that wrong, probably. Um, he's Australian, probably of Greek descent. And there was someone in, I think, the English team that was um, trained with him at like TriStar, I think, or whatever gym he was training out of at the time. And Ross Pearson put that fighter, you know, 
there was their turn to pick the fight and he picked that fighter to go against one of the Australian guys. And Ross Pearson just looked over at George and said, which one are you going for, country or teammate? And there was like, maybe the editing, maybe they draw, draw it out, but there was like a good pause where he made him think. And it was probably like, maybe like a five second pause. And then he goes, well, obviously country. But I was like, he got him, dude. I mean, that was just such a great moment. Um, and I know there's a little bit of recency bias he playing into this, but his fight with John McDessey, if you haven't seen it, go on Fight Pass right now. Those motherfuckers went to war. It was beautiful to watch. And in John McDessey's last fight, um, the commentators talked about this, where John McDessey can kind of like play whatever game his opponent wants to play. He's not really good at imposing his own will. Like if the guy's not really firing back, he'll just sort of like stay on the outside and kind of point fight and, 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 you know, land some kicks and, and jabs. But uh, Ross Pearson obviously comes to fucking bang. And those guys went to war. I remember tweeting after the fight. I was just like, thank you both gentlemen. Like, I don't even, I think John McDessey might've won, but honestly, I was like, there's no, there's no loser in that fight. Um, I, I would see that again right now. Um, but obviously Ross has been in the game a long time. He's been in a lot of those wars. So I'm happy for him to, to take a step back and stop doing any damage. Of course, we all know MMA retirements aren't really final. So there's a good chance we see him. If not, <laughs> I mean, bare knuckle boxing has probably called him already. Um, but but good for him if he does take it because I know bare knuckle boxing is paying well for those guys. So glad to see there's another, another avenue for them to make money. And Ross Pearson, I think he maybe has a few business endeavors and he probably coaches. So I don't think we're going to... Um, see the last of him in terms of combat so uh gr- great job to him uh mazel tov to mike perry getting married uh <laughs> kind of crazy uh he was with that girl i think her name is danielle and then he, he calls her the platinum princess and then i feel like she was a character in the mma world for a while because she was in his corner and a lot of people were saying they were giving bad she was giving bad advice and she was just kind of yelling shit like like hit a baby go for the leg or or whatever but if you listened closely she was actually just like saying the stuff that um his actual coaches and cornermen were saying she was just saying it louder so it was like did they put in the, her in there to kind of so that he would respond to her voice more I mean, she was kind of throwing her own shit in there as well. But like, then Colby Covington tweeted her saying like, oh, your fucking ratchet horse-faced girlfriend is giving terrible advice. And I mean, that was a fucking low move. We all know Colby Covington is a piece of shit. Speaking of pieces of shit, I think it's a great segue to talk about BJ Penn uh, getting a restraining order filed against him for allegedly assaulting his wife both physically and sexually. And, and, and sort of getting cocaine on their kids. I mean, if you read the report, there's a lot of nasty allegations in there. And I want to say this. I don't think they're just allegations. Um, From what I read, I mean, MMA Junkies, pretty well-respected outlet, although they have a tendency to not fact-check things like 100% of the time. So, well, you can say, oh, innocent until proven guilty, but I'm reading this report and I'm going... It's looking like the judge did grant the restraining order, so at the very least, they're they're taking her seriously. What she's saying, 
And then he puts out this video of his kids on his Instagram, like trying to get some sympathy. I thought that was such a low move, dude. And and then I thought like, like BJ Penn is obviously a legend of the sport. And it's a lot of people's favorite fighters. A lot of reason. uh, He's the reason a lot of people got into MMA and obviously New York Rick's a big fan, but I sat back and I thought for a while and I thought about how he's really good friends with Matt Hughes. And we all know Matt Hughes is a giant piece of shit. So I kind of feel like we can take this at face value. I don't think there's a lot more to go in this. I think he really just is that guy. And um, without him being on top, he's sort of losing his shit and his life is maybe falling apart. Obviously, I don't want to wish that on anyone. Uh, least of all is his family. So I really hope they get through this. Um, if nothing else, apart separate ways and, and, and make sure the kids are safe. Um, so yeah, I guess B, BJ Penn do better. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, it sucks too, because, uh, I have another podcast called, uh, mixed martial opinions, uh, some of, some of you may listen to, and it's less of an MMA podcast, more of a comedy podcast. The whole pro- the whole premise of it is that I'm obviously really big into MMA, and my one of my best friends, Andrew, is not. And so we decided to create this podcast where I kind of try and convince him to like MMA by showing him old fights, and we talk about different aspects. And when it, it's, it's almost like when, when stuff like this happens, we take like one step forward with like a good fight, and then uh, th- this news will drop, and then two steps back. He's almost like, well, this is how people in MMA are, and that's just not the case. And I feel like that's such a it's, it's just sheds such a bad light on MMA as a whole when when things like this happen, and and it's almost like I feel like shit like that is like Yelp, like where you only hear about the bad reviews. Like it takes a lot for people to post a good review. So there's not a lot of when 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 fighters are doing a lot of good things, like Brian Ortega setting up the the scholarship uh, for you know less fortunate kids, uh, you know giving them a jujitsu sponsorship and helping them go to college, uh, things like that. Like they don't get as much publicity as the bad shit does. Like Connor calling Khabib's wife a towel and all these like, uh, egregious things. I wish there was more positive news. Um, so I guess to transition out of that, I want to talk about some fight announcements because nothing else. There's a light at the end of the tunnel, right? Uh, Drew Dober versus Marco Polo Reyes got announced for UFC Minnesota. And I kind of was guaranteed they're probably going to be on the undercard, maybe. I mean, so it's kind of weird for me to highlight this. But I got excited for this because they're both game. Drew Dober is more of a wrestler. And um, I don't mind a good striker versus wrestler matchup. I'm always going to root for the striker. But uh, I have to acknowledge that the wrestler sometimes does have an advantage. But this one uh, got my interest because um, of Marco Polo Reyes. Now he is one of the he's the basically the first fight I watched live. So a um, couple couple of my friends and um, and my fiance we went to UFC one ninety nine at the Forum in L A. and Marco Polo Reyes versus. Um, Don Young Kim or was it's the maestro there's there's, like, there's Stun Gun Kim like Dong Young Kim and then there's like Don Yun Kim I think it's hard to to get the names right but they had a fucking and then winning fight of the night and it was to an almost empty arena 
it was like us and like 10 other people in the arena because it was the first fight on the card. And I didn't realize like that was my first event. You're fucking paying, you know, a hundred bucks for the tickets at least. Uh, why not get as much out of it and see the whole thing? Like that just blows my mind that people would spend that much money on tickets and not show up early. Uh, I mean, it was incredible. And because the arena was, the arena was empty, the fuck, the elbows and the knees, they made such a like echoing sound in the arena. It was just incredible. And, uh, Mark, Marco Reyes won that fight. So I was really happy for him. And so because of that, I'll always watch him. Like I was actually, I love James Vick, but I was sad when, when Vick knocked him out because, um, I feel like he probably took some time off after that and rightly so. So I'm happy to see him get back in there. Wish him well. Um, well, I wish well to both guys, but obviously I want uh, Marco Reyes to win. Um, we got Nganu versus JDS happening at UFC 239. Now, this is kind of smart. Um, they're, they're stacking that card. It's obviously International Fight Week. I'm glad they're only doing the one. In past years, they've done two and even three fights that weekend. And it just is like oversaturation and... and and it feels like some of the cards are weak uh, on the, the Thursday and Friday night. Um, but I love International Fight Week. I'm sad that I can't go this year. I went for um, 2.13 when Amanda was supposed to headline and she pulled out on like three hours notice because of that sinus infection. But we got uh, Whitaker Romero won. That was a hell of a fight. And man, the Aussies showed up for that. Obviously, they're going to show up when he comes to Australia. But dude, there was a ton of Aussies in Vegas. We were in like the top row actually really good seats because we were like right in front of the screen actually and the Aussies were like Aussie 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 oi 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 like a whole section of them it was crazy um, but back to Ngano JDS I think this is going to be a great fight I hope it lasts longer than a round although we know we both know it has the possibility to to go very quickly uh, with both of their power and Ngano's been on like a tear recently and everyone um it's like, oh, he's the scariest guy that we've seen, and and that may be true. But before Ngannou, JDS was that guy. I mean, he was knocking dudes out. I mean, he knocked. He helped, they both knocked out Kane in the first round. Um, be- before his run to the title, I mean, he knocked out Verdum. He, uh, JDS knocked out pretty much everyone but Roy Nelson in that initial run. So I think this is going to be fun. They were supposed to fight. I'm actually glad it's happening now because they were supposed to fight for UFC 215 in Edmonton, I believe, um, two years ago. It was right after um, JDS lost to Stipe via knockout. And I was like, dude, you just got knocked down. You're about to face the one of the most scary knockout artists in the division. What is wrong with you? I thought that was terrible matchmaking or at least terrible decision for him to accept the fight. And um, then he got uh, Papa Usada, turned out to be a Tain supplement. He only served eight months, yada, yada, yada. But I think this is the right time for those guys. They both put some nice wins together. And I think we could be seeing maybe a number one contender, um, the title eliminator fight. Hopefully. I mean, we still don't know what's the deal with Brock Lesnar. First thing I said, I'm not talking to him. And then in the post-fight press conference on Saturday, he was like, look, uh, once DC's ready, and if we can strike up a deal with Brock, he's going to fight Brock. If not, he'll fight Stipe. Everyone shut up. So I was like, huh. 
So I guess we're going to have to wait and see with that. But uh, if nothing else, it's a great it's a great heavyweight fight. And I think it's going to be amazing. Um, we also got out of the, I think to, to that card, Michael Chiesa versus uh, Diego Sanchez at welterweight. It's always cool when um, and obviously these guys both fought lightweight for years, so they could have matched up then, but they never did. Um, it's always interesting when when two um, Ultimate Fighter winners get paired up against each other. So I, so I hope they um, have a good scrap. They're both they're both grapple heavy, but sometimes Diego just throws that away and he just likes to bang. So. We were, honestly, I feel like we don't know how that's going to go. Michael Kessel looked good at welterweight against Carlos Condit. I think the extra uh, 15 pounds really is making a difference for him. So I hope that that goes well. Another matchup I'm excited about is um, Aljamain Sterling versus Pedro Munoz versus, um, or yeah, at, at UFC 238. I think this is a, another good matchmaking because they both were campaigning for that um, for that title opportunity against uh, Marlon Marais. Um, Aljo probably had, it, it's, it sucks because Aljo probably had the strongest case for a title shot in general. But given that it was the vacant title and the number one contender he lost to via brutal KO, every, not a lot of people were getting behind it. But I was like, I want to see Aljo get that one back. Um, not to say it was a fluke, um, because it, it still was Marlon threw a strike that put him away, but he even said he he meant to throw a kick and Aljo Shafar had takedown, so he he hit with the knee. So there was a little bit of parity there that you can kind of go and and I honestly thought he he it was a bad knockout. Like I wasn't sure how he would come back, and then I saw him come back against Brett Johns in Atlantic City, and he he put a clinic on on Johns. So um, I love Aljo. I want I want to see him do well always. And Pedro Munoz just knocked out Cody Garbrandt. I feel like if he didn't get a win that emphatic, he might not be begin this fight against Aljamain. Um, so I think it's really it's really good to see. And um, that's all I have for for current events. Um, now let's get into some picks for UFC St. Petersburg. All right, so for UFC St. Petersburg this weekend, opening up the main card. And and this isn't like a deep card in terms of big names, but there are a lot of fun matchups, and they're really highlighting um, local talent. Like they're showcasing a lot of Russian fighters. I notice on the prelims, there's a lot of like Russia versus Poland matchups, which are kind of interesting. But um, I want to just give you my um, predictions for the main card. Um, opening up the main card, we got Roxanne Modafferi versus Antonia Shevchenko. Um, if you listen to any previous episodes, you know that Roxy is my favorite fighter for a number of reasons, which I won't get into. This is uh, just a serious podcast, but <laughs> at least I try to be anyway. Uh, but that said, you also know that I pick with my heart, and um, I'm going to pick Roxanne. Uh, I th- I think it's very clear that they want this to be a showcase fight for Antonina. Um, they want her to get a big win, maybe a finish in her um in her hometown um she hasn't had a lot of finishes in mma she got a finish on dana white's contender series which got her the contract but even in, like she's primarily muay thai she didn't get a lot of finishes there it was mostly a lot of decisions she's a very technical striker i think roxanne has the grappling to to really be a kryptonite for her 
Uh, I know she obviously her sister Valentina Shevchenko is one of the most well-rounded, well-rounded fighters in the game, um, and has very good grappling. Submitted um, Juliana Pena, but I don't think she's quite at that level yet. Uh, Roxanne's a very very high level brown belt. She's been doing jiu-jitsu for a long time. Um, and she really uses it as her base. Um, and I think John Wood over at Syndicate MMA has really um, made some improvements on her striking and her top game. Um, so if she can secure top position, maybe get a good takedown, or, or if she gets dropped, maybe sweep um, Antonina, I really think we could see uh, Roxy getting a nice finish with some elbows or, or at least uh, maybe getting her back and getting a rear naked choke. I would love for that to happen. Um, next couple of fights, I don't know too much about the fighters, but I did do some digging. Um, so we got, um, I want to pronounce this guy's name right, Ivan Shturkov uh, going against Devin Clark. Now, his nickname is the Ural Hulk. So when I saw that, because initially I was going to say, well, the other guy hasn't really fought in the UFC all that much. Uh, Devin Clark's at least proven in the UFC. Let me go with him. But then I started to think about, first of all, home court advantage and what that can do. And if you look at the guy, I mean, he's a fucking specimen. Looks like he's on some some special sauce, maybe some some vitamins of his own. Uh, and, uh, he fought, I think Bigfoot Silva, he's had some nice wins in his career and I think that'll be the difference. So I'm going to, I'm actually going to pick Ivan just cause I mean, his, his nickname is Ural Hulk. I mean, how could you not, not pick that, but we'll see how it goes. Um, Devin's got some some decent wrestling, so maybe he can can nullify that. But the guy, I was looking, he's got some nice, he's got some arm bars on his record. He's pretty legit, so I think this will be a nice showcase fight for them. At least that's what they want it to be. So I'm going to pick Ivan. Um, next up, we got Sergey Pavlovich facing um, Marcelo Golm. Um, Marcelo Golm has had more UFC fights, but he's been sort of up and down. He just lost to um, Arjun Buller, uh, which is no no um, disrespect. I mean, Arjun Buller is, I think, a, a good prospect. Um, he's obviously a very accomplished wrestler. He trains at AK with DC. And um, so obviously that's not, not anything to hang your head about losing to that guy because he, he could very... Um, very possibly be be a uh, future champion, but that said, Sergey Pavlovich um, kind of got blown out of the water by Overeem in his debut, and I think that probably motivated him. And it's like he's sort of a local fighter. Um, in, in, in just in just in terms of um, if he's from that area, so I really think that um, that's going to motivate him. I did. I ended up picking a lot of the Russians in this, obviously, except Roxy. Um, so I, th- I think I think that's what they want it to be. Uh, that that really motivates them. The 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 cheers from their Russian brethren. I think it's going to really motivate them. And so I'm going to pick also um, next up is Islam Makhachev versus Arman Sarukian. 
Now, Arman is sort of a young up-and-comer. He's 13-1. and one. Um, He got knocked out in his second pro fight and then has since gone on to win the next, like, 12 fights. Um, so I'm not saying he's just going to... Um, that, that Islam's going to walk right through him. I mean, he's got he's got um, quite a few submissions on his record as well, which a, a good submission guy can can really um, catch a wrestler in a bad position. But that Dagestani wrestling, I mean, it's really hard to pick against that. I feel like, and they I, they work with the sambo and everything. They work their submissions, so um, I think Islam's going to get it done uh, at least at least decision. If not, um, if not, maybe a TKO from ground and pound, or or maybe like an armbar or something. He caught um, Cajun Johnson in a pretty nice armbar in his last outing, so very possible he gets that done again. Um, then Overeem versus Alexia Linick closing out the card for the main event. Now this is supposed to be Overeem versus Volkov, and I think if it were if that matchup still when I I guess we still don't know why. Uh, some some say it's an undisclosed injury. Uh, some say it's a USADA issue. Um, I'll remind you guys that with the new policy with USADA, um, they don't have to announce it until the findings are conclusive. So if it's just a failed test, they don't announce it right away. They're just like pulled from a card silently, basically, while arbitration is going on in the background. Uh, so we we still don't know. So I I probably would have picked. Volkov to beat Overeem. Overeem's kind of chinny. Um, Volkov's a pretty excellent striker. But this is interesting to me. Um, Alistair Overeem versus Alexei Olenek. I'm actually I'm a fan of Alexei. I like the way he fights. Um, he he kind of gets in there with the dirty boxing to get a clinch and, and, and get sort of a body lock takedown. And that Ezekiel choke is something else. He's got like 12 of them on his record or something like that. Um, it's called the bow constrictor for a reason. Um, obviously, he in um, I want to say it was it was his debut. He got it against Victor Peshta from from Ambalan while Peshta had Mount, and they slowed the tape down. He actually pulled Mount. He wanted him to he wanted Victor to mount him so he could get that Ezekiel, and it was like oh my god, he just sort of like baited him. It was crazy, um, and everyone was like, what Ezekiel's don't work in MMA? You have to grab the gi. Uh, but obviously he's found a way to do it. I think what he does is, uh, for those who don't know an Ezekiel, is when you, it's sort of like a rear naked choke from the front. Like you wrap your uh, one arm around uh, their neck and grab your bicep um, or usually the lapel of the gi and the other arm comes through and you kind of squeeze that way. Um, what he does, I think, is he when he's putting that second arm through to go in front of the throat, I think he makes a fist, and he's just got big hands, and with the gloves, it has that extra thing that I think he's just putting pressure on the windpipe, and that's what uh, makes him tap. Um, and then the, when he got it against Junior Albini, probably the worst nickname in MMA, uh, with Baby, just because he freaking wore a diaper in his last fight. I thought that was so ridiculous. I was laughing the entire time. But when he fought... Um, <laughs> when, when Junior fought Alexi, um, he he got it standing. He just wrapped the Ezekiel from the clinch and just dragged him down to the mat. It's almost like he was willing that choke into existence, and um, and Junior just tapped immediately. Um, that said, I was originally going to pick Alexi because of the grappling aspect, but then I remembered Overeem 
back in the Pride days, he had a nasty guillotine, and he's got some arm bars as well. He's got very underrated grappling, even though he's mostly a kickboxer. People know him from the K1 uh, run that he had. He's got some good defensive grappling, and he's been training with Curtis Blades and um, uh, Team Elevation in Colorado. And Alexi said something very interesting um, in a recent interview. They both were on Ariel Hawani's show, and Overeem actually brought it up first. It said that they um, they're not teammates, but they're they're somewhat friends. Um, like they're very complimentary of each other, and they have trained together in the past. Um, Overeem brought him in to train for his fight against Frank Mir, and Olenek brought Overeem to training in his fight against Krokop in M1, I think. And they both ended up winning. So that that partnership worked out. And I, I, I kind of started to think, like, they know each other's game. And they can both use that to, to their advantage. So it's not like one guy can can get over on the other. But they both know how those sessions went. One of them knows who's better. And that's interesting to me. And... Overeem was like, oh, it should be good. He was kind of like playing it light. Uh, and then Alexi went on there. And obviously there's a bit of a language barrier, so he can't say fully what's on his mind. Not that he would anyway. But Ariel asked him about what he said. He said, oh, Overeem said he gets trained together in the past. Is that true? And Alexi was like, yeah, uh, he was difficult to submit. I couldn't submit him. And I'm like, well, that's your best weapon, dude. Uh, not that, I mean, obviously he... He knows that, so he's going to try and find a way. But just from an outside perspective, I have to give it to Overeem then. So I'm going to pick Overeem. Uh, I think uh, I don't think Alexi poses enough problem on the feet. And when it comes to the grappling, I think um, Overeem can avoid the submissions um, in, enough to to get it done against him. Maybe he maybe he gets a TKO or maybe even a knockout. That would be sweet to end up the card. Um, I love these overseas cards. Because uh, you just get to watch it from home and just chill. Should be lots of fun. So that, that wraps up the uh, episode for this week. Thanks, as always, for your support. It means a lot to me. Um, podcasts really grow from social media and word of mouth. So if you like what you what you heard, share, you know, spread the gospel, if you will. Um, actually, I, I do have one, one thing to end with. Someone finally gave me a Twitter question. Finally. I shouldn't say finally. I'm only in the third episode. But God bless you, Travis, at T-X-R-A-V-I-S 12 on Twitter. Um, he, he asked me one question that I feel like – he asked me three questions. I thought this is cool. Um, he asked me first what my pound-for-pound pound top 10 list is. And I want to take some more time on this because it, it deserves. I'm not one of those guys that that has this list in their back pocket. I have a few fighters that I love, and um, that didn't kind of rank. I think I think number one is probably GSP and DC's up there, Daniel Cormier. And really, what it comes down to is um, they both did it clean. Uh, they both are dominant in their respective um, disciplines. And um, GSP um, avenged his two losses. He lost to Matt Hughes and he lost to Matt Serra. So um, the only way to beat GSP is to be named Matt. And um, 
not a lot of people named Matt uh, in MMA to really get over on GSP, and he avenged those losses. So for me, he's number one. And I'm going to come back to this. I'm going to I'm going to compile a list. I thank you for your question, and I want to get deeper into it. So out of respect for for that, I'm I'm going to I'm going to come back to it. Put put that on the back burner for maybe next week. Um, but he asks. Um, it's really more of like a a two parter um, for for two and three. I feel like are p- part of the same question, um, just a two parter. So yes, is Izzy and Kelvin fight of the year? And uh, as of right now, yeah, it's definitely fight of the year currently. Um, but I'm not going to say it's a foregone conclusion that it's going to win fight of the year. It's certainly one of the greatest middleweight title fights ever, right? Uh, interim or not, I think I think we can all agree on that. Uh, certainly was was something beautiful to watch and um it's one of those fights like i don't often go back and watch old fights um like that i haven't seen like i don't really rewatch fights but um bisping versus silva that's one of my favorite fights and i've watched that like probably five times um and i'm gonna i'm gonna rewatch this once it's, once the replay is available on uh, espn or fight pass so yeah, definitely. Right now, it's fight of the year, and I'm going to say I think I said this earlier in the episode. I want to do a year end show, um, so we're going to see at that time if it still holds up. So remember this. Uh, we'll come back to it or reference it if if it does because that um, that fight was incredible. Um, certainly, fight of their careers, right? Um, and then he said, "Is Max and Dustin a runner up?" Yeah, I think we touched on this um, early in this episode. On any other on any other night that. That would have been fight of, fight of the night, and we would have been talking about it as a fight of the year candidate. It just happened the the front runner for fight of the year happened right before it. So, um, I think I think yes to both those questions. Yeah, so far is he fight of the year? Is he and Kelvin, and then Max and Dustin, maybe number two. Yeah, um, definitely definitely worth revisiting at the end of the year. Uh, so, thank thanks for your question, Travis. Um, I'm gonna um, I'm gonna get back to that first one probably next episode and uh anyone else that wants their uh question or comment right on air even not an mma related fuck it you know whatever you want uh to talk about uh we'll talk i'll gladly talk about it on the podcast um you can always um tweet me or you know dm at uh, fwm underscore pod on twitter or if, um, if you want to send out a, like a long drawn out thought or um audio recording or anything you can email me at um fighting with myself fighting with myself pod at gmail.com so thanks again uh i love you if you're not listening i hate you but you won't know that uh take care guys